Romans 8, 28. The Bible says, <coughs> Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you open our understanding, that we may be able to grasp what you've prepared for us tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, this verse speaks to me about the, the providential hand and work of God in our lives. And uh, if I would ask each and every one of you here, you would tell me that the last couple of years since COVID, there have been some of the toughest moments in our lives. And uh, I was, I was kind of listing some of the things that I was going through. And I must admit to you that I had to stop and just quit that idea. Just because the truth of the matter is we were all going through a rough time a difficult time. And then you hear a verse like First Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 18 where it says, and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. And then you can wonder, how can I give thanks in everything? I mean, with everything going on, we hear of terrible things happening. We hear of parents losing their children. For example, one of our missionary friends uh, lost their, uh, their son who committed suicide. And, and you see, they're going through a rough time and you can wonder, how can we give thanks in everything? I also very recent spoke to a man who had lost his job. And uh, he had tried for two years to find another job. And finally he got one. And so he wanted to work so hard to impress his boss. So he worked and worked and worked and worked that he ended up getting a herniated disc. And his leg went numb. And when the leg went numb, it caused an excruciating pain. And you see, with all this pain, he could not be able to continue working. And so what happened? The company had to let him go. The company doctor could not clear him. Now he's out of work again. And then you hear somebody like that with all that's happening in his life, a verse like this popping up in his mind, how can I give thanks for everything? How can I give thanks with everything that's happening? But you see, we don't have to be thankful for the events that are happening in our lives that in our mind we deem as bad, but we give thanks in that event, knowing that we can be thankful for it. And the reason that we are thankful in that event is because of Romans 8.28. How many of you have heard of Matthew Henry? He's the greatest writer. He's a commentary. You know, he was a pastor's son, a PK. And uh, what happened with uh, Matthew Henry? He used to take good notes when his father is preaching. Just write notes, take notes, take notes. He was a Puritan. 
And so this happened in the 1600s, and we still use his commentary today. Uh, one time he was robbed by thieves, and they took his purse. And then he took a diary and wrote these words. First, let me be thankful because I had never been robbed before. I'm thankful in that. Secondly, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Thirdly, I'm thankful because although they took all that I had, it wasn't much. <laughs> Finally, I'm thankful that it was I who was robbed, but not I who robbed. You see, that's an illustration of in everything, give thanks to God. You see, it wasn't necessary, he wasn't necessarily thankful that he was robbed, but he was thankful in that event. And so we can say, we can bank on the promises of God based on Romans 8.28. And so this verse provides a lot of comfort to me, and I would like us to look some truths, and that's why I give you the title, Promise of Divine Providence. And so the first truth that I want us to look into is the certainty of it. Look with me again in verse 28. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, that verse it starts with a certainty. And we know. Amen. You see, God does not say it's possible that all things are going to work together. He does not say that. You see, if I can, if I can, uh, if I can dig deep into uh, the language of it, the Greek word for to know is order. And the meaning of order is absolute knowledge, positive knowledge beyond any doubt. You see, he doesn't say that there's, there's a good chance that, I that things are going to work out for good. He says there is certainty. It's for sure. And this we give it, in English we give it something, we give it a word we call a perfect indicative. For those of us who know grammar. And now, in Greek we have four moods. Let me dig a little bit deeper. And the first mood, we call it the indicative mood. And this is the mood of, it's a fact that it's going to happen. The second mood is what we call the subjective, the subjunctive mood. The mood of possibility. It may happen. The third is the imperative mood, the mood of a command. And the fourth is the optative mood, which is the mood of a wish. But when we read that and we know, it does, it's not a subjunctive mood. It does not say it's a possibility that's going to happen. It's not, uh, it's not what we call the optative mood, oh, how I wish it's going to happen. It's what we call an indicative mood. It's a fact that it's going to happen. It says, and we know that things are going to work out for good. So you might be going through a rough time. You might be going through a difficult time. But I want you to take comfort in this. That if you're a child of God, it's a fact 
that things are going to work out for good. And you see, the truth of the matter is, it may not happen here on earth. But one day when you get to heaven, you shall look back and you will look. God knew that this was going to happen and it worked out for good. And how many of you have had so many things that happened years back, but when you look back now, you can say, now I know the reason why it happened. Because God knew it was going to happen. He was working on all these things for good. Why? Because we know it's certain. We know it's a certain that's going to happen. There's a place in England by the name Smithfield. And this Smithfield, this is where Bloody Mary, the Queen of England, used to burn Protestant at the stake. And she was given the name Bloody Mary because of her bad behavior. We call it a bad behavior of burning Christians at the stake. And so, but her real name was Mary Tudor. And so there is a famous story uh, told by Charles Spurgeon, and the story uh, goes like this, that there was a man who was arrested during the reign of Bloody Mary for preaching the gospel. So he was condemned to burn at the stake. And when the arrest was handed down to these men, what happened is that everybody was asking, so how do you feel now with this, uh, with this judgment? And you know what he said? He quoted the same very verse and he said, you know, things, all things will work out together for good. And everybody was asking him, how will this, how in the world do you even, do you even rejoice in this by saying that things are going to work out for good when you know very well that you're going to be burned at the stake? He replied, I don't even know. All I know is that things are going to work out for good. And so, the sentence was handed down. On the way to the Smithfield, the soldiers that were handling these men, they mistreated him so bad that they even dropped him on the ground. They ended up breaking uh, one of his foot. And he was, breed, uh, he, he, he was just, uh, uh, just bleeding, and he was uh, uh, laying down there, writhing in pain. And they were just laughing at him. And, they, and then they, were, they kept asking him, so how is this going to work out together for your good? And he replied, I don't even know. All I know is that it will all work out for good. So they finally decided, because the, this man is so uh, injured, we'll just take him somewhere so that he can be taken care of. So they took him somewhere, whereby he had uh, you know, the, uh, the, the fractured leg taken care of to stop you know, the bleeding and, and all that. And uh, because of that, they delayed getting to Smithfield and they got the following day. And you know what happened during all that? Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary, was overthrown and Queen Elizabeth took the throne and pardoned the man. And you see, this man now was walking past the guards and he said, I told you, all these things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. The truth of the matter is, church, you may not see this here on this side of the world, but I can tell you, you can trust 
on the providential hand of God that all will work out for good. So the first thing, we see uh, the certainty of it. The second, we see the circumference of it. Look at this. And we know that all things, all things work together for good. This is just mind-boggling to me because it does not say some things are going to work out for good. It just says all things. You know the word all in Greek? It's all. It's all. It means all the experiences in life, all the good things, all the bad things, all the joys, all the sorrows. And when I think and meditate on this, I'm just reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you can go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, after the book of Proverbs. And when you look, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it begins with Solomon listing all the experiences that, you know, in his life, and he, stir, and he starts by saying, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then at least he gives a list of all the things in that passage. And when you look at it, there is a list of 14 positive experiences that we go through in life on one side. And then on the other side, there is a list of negative experiences that we go through in life. And then, besides all this, someone says, God in heaven oversees all these things providentially. And none of these things is without significance. Because what he says in verse 11 is that he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in the heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So that means he has made everything beautiful in his time. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like an Old Testament, Romans 8:28, because what God is trying to say is that God sovereignly oversees all these experiences that we go through, and then he mingles them all together, our burdens, our blessings, our joys, our sorrows, and then he brings them together. And then you know what he does in his time? He makes them all beautiful. All these things, all. No some. It's all. And I'm, I'm just glad to hear of that verse when he said, all things. So we can be certain that whatever we are going through, it may be bad, it may be good, it's all that God is going to mix together. And then in his time, he makes them all beautiful. And you know, Apostle Paul who wrote this, he wasn't writing this uh, from what I call an ivory tower. You know an ivory tower is, is, is where somebody just stays and studies and you know, he has an ease of life. He has an ease of life. And you and I know an ivory tower is where you get scholars. And a scholar is somebody who has just a life of academia, and all he does is study, eat, sleep, a life of ease. But you and I know that Paul did not have a life of ease. If he could catalog everything that he was going through, the hunger, the loneliness, the thirst, sickness, imprisonment, the robberies, the stoning, the scourging, the shipwreck, the assassination attempts, the trials, all these 
things Paul experienced. And guess what? He's the one who is writing this. And now like, I would like to draw some, uh, some illustration from the book of Philippians. If you can go to Philippians chapter 1. The book of uh, Philippians chapter 1. And we see what Paul is saying here. So we come to find that in this book of Philippians uh, chapter 1, Paul is writing uh, from prison. And you know, he was, a, uh, he was in prison in, uh, uh, in Rome. And then he was allowed to have visitors visit him. He was there for two years, waiting to appear uh, before Caesar to give uh, a def a defense over the gospel that he was preaching. So while he's in prison, this church at Philippi that was very close to him, in fact, he said his beloved church was always generous and very kind to him and supporting him. And so it just came a time when they were just worried and they didn't even know where Paul was. They are looking for him, but finally they found him and they heard that he was in prison. And then they heard about the hardships that he was going, uh, he was facing. And you see, when you're in prison, in those days in, uh, in the Roman world at that time, people from the outside are the ones who supported you. But today, if somebody goes to prison, and it's not like I've been there to know, but I've, I've done prison ministry, so I know what's happening. They state taxes really, you know, take care of you. Every day you get these square meals and cable TV and internet, and you get a worker, free gym. But you see, during those times, people depended on the outside support because the Roman government could not do that. And so Paul is in prison. And the people and the Philippians who heard that Paul is in prison, they immediately got together and collected a love offering, and they sent Epaphroditus to go uh, visit Paul and just give him this gift to take care of him. And so you find, uh, uh, you find Paul writing the book of Philippians as really a thank you. It's a thank you note to the church of uh, Philippi because they are worried about him. But one of the main issues that the Philippians were worried about and one of their concerns was why would God put his greatest preacher in prison? Think about that. For two years, just been waiting there. Why would God do this? You know, this sounds like you putting, uh, you know, locking up your best uh, racehorse and just lock him and allow him to go and race. But you see, Paul wants to alleviate their concerns and their fear. And so he writes them, Philippians uh, 1 and uh, verse 12, and he, and, he, and he tells them, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He tells them, hey, guys, you don't have to worry. The things that, that have happened to me here, in your own lives, they look so bad. But I want you to know this suffering I'm going here, I'm going through here, is unto the furtherance of the gospel. It's unto the furtherance of the gospel. And I want you to see there that I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things that happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. 
Paul is trying to tell them that, hey, you know what? I don't want you guys to think I'm really suffering. I don't want you to really I'm suffering. No, I'm not suffering. Because what, what is happening here, my suffering here, it's working out for good. How is it working out for good? They're in a palace, and the Greek word for palace is patuian, and that's where you get the title for patuian gods, which were the gods that were God in Paul. So Paul is trying to say, yeah, guys, there's a soldier chained next to me. But I want you to see this. When he's chained next to me, he's chained to me for six hours to guard me. Now, I want you to imagine being chained next to Paul. No, talk of seminary education. Intensive study. And so this guard is chained to him for six hours. And after that, he's going to go back to the barracks and tell them, hey, guess who I've been chained to the last six hours? And this is what he's been telling me. See, he's been telling me uh, in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palaces, in all the patuians, and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident, but my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That this God was chained next to me. So guess what? He sees me writing these letters. He sees the visitors coming, and I'm witnessing to them. So guess what? He's going also to witness to this God. And they're going to get saved. And then they'll go back to the barracks. And they'll go and give the same gospel to the other, to their bodies in the barracks. So he's saying, my suffering here, it looks like I'm suffering to you, but guess what? No, it's unto the furtherance of the gospel. Because the gods are coming, they are listening and they're hearing the gospel. They're getting emboldened and they're going back to the barracks and preaching the gospel. And then also think about this. Paul was also going to go to an official trial. Why? To give a defense of the same gospel he's preaching. So the Roman government has its lawyers. So they must also study so that they can know what is this Paul that he's trying to, to preach. So you see, his suffering is for the furtherance of the gospel. Church. Some of you may say, wow. This is a perfect illustration of the providence of God. And Paul is trying to say to the, uh, to the Philippians, don't worry about me. Literally, don't worry. Because God is using this. And I'm thrilled that the gospel is making progress. And that's all it's all about. And some of you may say, what about sin? Some of you may have sinned against God. And you're asking, so can God take my sin and my failures and work it all together for good? Now I want to ask you a question. What is the greatest sin that has ever been committed? What about crucifying the Son of God who, who had no sin? They made him to sin who knew no sin. That the righteousness of God may be in you. And now, what is the greatest blessing that we've ever had? The greatest blessing is through the death of Christ. Without death, there's no remission of sin. That through his death, he took away the wrath of our sin. So do you see something bad in our own eyes ends up being good? 
third. So we've seen the certainty of it. We've seen the circumference of it. Now we want to see the cooperation of it. Look at this. Look at that promise. And we know, go back to the, Rom, uh, the book of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together. Work together. You see, one Greek for that word together is energy. And this is where you get the word energy. And this is also where you get the word synergy. And synergy has the idea of teamwork, where things work together. Whereby, if you have the idea of teamwork, a lot of people make a project look so easy and so simple. And God mixes them all together for a good. And you see, one bad thing in itself is not going to produce results. But one bad thing and one good thing and all this together, they produce great results. And I want you to know, some of the medicines that you take are filled with ingredients. In it by itself has very bad consequences. For example, there is an ingredient we call arsenic. Arsenic in itself has a potential to kill you. But arsenic mixed with some other ingredients makes a beautiful medicine that literally used to cure cancer. And treat, uh, it's a very uh, heavy antibiotic. And see, God is saying all these things together. It's the bad and the good. The bad experiences and the good experiences that we see, God mixes them all together. And in time, he makes them all beautiful. It's for good. The conclusion of it. Running off time. Now, look at this. And we know that all things work together for good. You see, it doesn't say everything is good. Many things in this world are not even good. But God says they work together, and the end product that will come out is good. And you see, the question we ask ourselves, what is the good in this part that Paul is talking about here? Now, look with me in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good right there. That's the good right there. That, yeah, that whatever God is going to, to work in my life and in your life, the end product that he wants to make you just like his son. He wants you to be like just his son. And you see, this is what we call sanctification, which is the process where God takes the world out of you and makes you more like him. And God is working all these things together because he wants to bring about Christ. He wants to bring about uh, Christ's life, uh, 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 Christ's likeness in your life and in my life. He wants to conform you to the image of God. And so Paul says, we're predestined to be just like God. And this is God's purpose for you. And this is why I know that I cannot lose my salvation. You know why I know I cannot lose my salvation? Look with me, verse 29 again. For whom he did for no, he also predestined. What, what does it say? It says that in eternity past, when I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. And that he predestinated and said, hey, I want him to be like my son, to be just like me. And then he continues to say that he might, uh, and then he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, 
Then he also called. You know what he did? After he, after he saw me in eternity past, he issued the call of salvation. And he said, hey, now there's this road that you need to, to pass. You choose me, you go to heaven. He issued a call of salvation. And then after salvation, you know what he did? And whom he, and then whom he called, he also justified. After he issued the call of salvation, he justified you. And then after he justified you, there is a process of sanctification that goes every day. That goes on and on and on. And then look at that. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Five golden chains of salvation. And God says, after all that, the good is to make you just like my son. That's the good right there. That's the good right there, church. What happens when a Christian dies? They become just like Christ. This is how you and I can know that you cannot lose your salvation because God has already seen you in eternity past. The condition of it, finally. Look, at that, uh, look with me again in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. You see, this verse does not say all things work together for good to everyone. Not to everyone. It says to those who are, called, who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To make you just like his son. And so you can see that this verse is literally for the child of God. And if you're not a child of God, you cannot claim this verse. And so you hear people in the news saying, oh, all those things are going to work together for good. But I can tell you for sure that if you're not a child of God, you cannot claim this verse. But you know tonight you can claim that verse by calling upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. And I want to ask you tonight, give us some comparison in Genesis 42 and verse 36. You have Jacob going through a very rough time with his children, and then he says, all these things are against me. And friend, you don't want to have that kind of attitude. And then you go, you go on to the next few chapters, you go and see, uh, uh, you go and see Joseph in chapter, uh, chapter 48, who is hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, forgotten, sold into slavery, taken into a straight land. And then you know what he says? They meant evil, but God meant good. Look at those two attitudes. And as a result of that, You know, Joseph is blessed with two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh means God makes me forget all my troubles. And when you have that kind of spirit, God makes you forget all your troubles. And then he gets the second son by the name Ephraim. You know what that means? God causes me to be fruitful. And when you put your faith in the providential hand of God, what does he do? He makes you fruitful. But at the end of the day, I want to ask you, can you claim that verse? And if you know you cannot claim that verse, then tonight is your night to call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Welcome, Brother Daniel.